All right, good evening, everyone. Had to get situated. It's good to see you. Have you been blessed today already? Did you get a chance to go outside, breathe some deep breaths of fresh air? Did you have time to spend with Jesus alone, reading your Bible and praying? My friends, when we have that opportunity and that privilege, it, it does something to us. Especially when trials and tribulations come, disappointments present themselves, it's much easier when Jesus is bearing the burden. Does that make sense? And tonight, my friends, it's no different. We're going to study our Bibles. It's going to be something basic. But sometimes we must go back to the basics. And when we have those basics, those foundations down, then we can take a step higher with Jesus. Amen? So before we begin tonight, I need help just like you do. I need my mind connected with the Most High just like you do. So if you don't mind, if you can kneel, if you can, if not, just bow your heads where you are. And we'll ask God for his spirit to be our teacher. Father in heaven, thank you for your love and mercy and bringing us safely here. Some from farther away than others, but nevertheless, Lord, you've kept us all safe. And as you've brought us into this house of worship on this night, there is a special blessing that you want to give us. And I just ask, Father, that you give us ears to hear what your spirit says into the church. Father, we want to be Christians for real. So please, tonight, pour out your spirit. May our minds be linked with your own. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 When I was younger, I used to play lots of video games. I don't know if you guys know what video games are. But one of the things on, on that old Nintendo, there used to be a reset button. And when I would play the game, I would make a mistake, and I would, I think that score wasn't high enough, I would reset. I would just push reset, and everything would just start all over again. And sometimes in life, when we do what we do, over time, we make a lot of mistakes. Sometimes they are mistakes, sometimes they are intentional rebellion. But in God's mercy, he's given us a reset button. He's given us a reset. And he's about to reset the microphone. Amen. We're going to study tonight. I want to be intentional in our study. I've gone over this study with our missionaries, but I want to go over the study with you because I want you to see what the Bible says in regards to obeying the gospel. Matthew chapter 3 in verse 2. Matthew chapter 3 in verse 2. You might want to, maybe some of these mics are, I don't know. Okay, yeah, just Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2. The Bible says, and this is Jesus speaking, or John the Baptist speaking. It says, in those days, John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is what, my friends? So there is a command. As John is preaching, he says, repent. Why are we repenting? Because the kingdom is at 
hand. There's a command, repent. Why? The kingdom of God is at hand. Go to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17. So John comes on the scene. The first thing he says is repent. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 17, the Bible says, From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say. What is he going to say? Repent. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is at, what's it say? At hand. So there it is again. Repent. Why? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 and look at verse number 15. Mark chapter 1 and verse number 15. Notice what the Bible says. Again, we're looking at the command to obey the gospel. Mark chapter 1 and verse 15 says, And saying, Jesus is speaking, the kingdom, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. And then it says what? Repent and do what? Believe the gospel. So we're now we're told to repent and believe the gospel. Why? Time is fulfilled and the kingdom is at hand is everybody following now all we're doing is a little bit of a bible study mark chapter 6 mark chapter 6 and we're looking at verse number 12 mark chapter 6 and verse 12 and this is speaking of the disciples it says, and they went out and preached that men should repent. There's that word again. It keeps coming up. Repent, repent, repent. Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 13, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 13, and we're looking at verses 3 and 5. Luke chapter 13, and we're looking at verses 3 and five. And Jesus again is speaking. He says, I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all, what's it say? Perish. So there's a, there's a greater consequence. In the previous one says, repent and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. This one's more, there's more weight here, it seems. It says, repent or you will perish. There's a consequence for not repenting. Look at verse 5. Again, he repeats himself. I tell you, nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Let me put that on the board here because we're going to come back to these. So repent, and if you don't repent, you will perish. There's a consequence. Let's go a little further. We're in Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, and we're looking at verse 3 and 4. Luke 17, verse 3 and verse 4. It says, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, if he offend thee, <laughs> rebuke him. That means tell him. Don't hold it in your heart. Let him know. 
rebuke him. And if he repent, what are you supposed to do? Forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shall do what? Forgive. So now there's another beautiful response to the concept of repentance. If one repents, forgiveness is supposed to be given or allotted. Does everybody follow that? All right. So you see the consequence. If you don't repent, you perish. If you do repent, you are forgiven. We're just build, we're building a little bit of a case, guys. Let's go a little further. Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Acts chapter 2, and look at verse 38. Acts 2, and verse 38. And all we're doing, we're building a biblical foundation. Acts 2, verse 38, it says, Then Peter said unto them, and this is under the unction of the outpouring of the Spirit. So Peter says unto them, Repent and be, what's it say? And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, that's interesting. A little bit more detail here. This time he says, repent. And what else did it say? And be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And what will be the result once you repent and you're baptized? What's the result? The remission of sins. And what else happens? You receive the gift of the Spirit. All right? Let's go a little further. Acts chapter 3, verse 19. Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Notice again what the Bible says. In Acts 3.19, it says, Repent, therefore, and be, what's it say? Converted, that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Repent and be converted. Now, the idea of conversion means that there's a change. Does everybody follow that? All we're doing is building the case. So first we read, repent. Why? Because the kingdom of God is at hand. Again, we read, repent and believe the gospel. Why? Because the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Again, we read, repent or else you will perish. Said it twice. He says, repent. Why? So you can be forgiven. Says, repent and be baptized. Why? So you can have remission of sins, so your sins can be blotted out, and God can pour his spirit out on you and I. Do you guys see that from the Bible? Let's go a little further. Acts chapter 8, verse 22. Acts chapter 8. In verse 22, notice what the Bible says. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Now, pay attention. This one's an interesting one, because it's not just saying that they did something wrong. 
It's saying that the thought of the heart was wicked. Are you hearing what the Bible said? Repent. Why? So that you can receive forgiveness and that your mind itself can be purified and made clean. We're doing biblical, basic, fundamental Christianity here. Repent. Over and over this word is repeated. Acts 17, verse 30. Go there. Acts 17, verse 30. Acts 17 and verse 30. Acts 17 and verse 30. It says, In the times of and and the times of this ignorance, God winked at. But now commandeth all men where? Everywhere to do what, my friends? Repent. There's that word again. There's that word. Commands all men everywhere to repent. There's no man or woman that escapes this instruction. We're all called to this point of repentance. Let's go a little further. Acts 26.20. Acts 26.20. It says, But showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem and throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God. And then this is interesting. And then it says, and do what? Do works, meet for what? Well, that's interesting. Repent, turn to God, and now your life is to be changed, and it's supposed to reflect the reality that you've actually repented. Everybody following so far? All right. Revelation chapter 2, verse 5. I'm laying a very, 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 very broad foundation tonight. Revelation 2 and verse number 5. And this is the first church. This is the church of Ephesus. It says in Revelation 2 and verse 5, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen and repent. Remember from whence you are fallen and repent and do the first works or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou, what's it say? So repentance is a requirement. But I have news for you. Not yet. Repentance is a requirement. But I want to say something to you. You don't even know how to repent. I don't know how to repent naturally. You know, repentance is different from saying I'm sorry. I just want you, I want you to start processing with me right now. Repentance is different from saying I'm sorry. You ever, you ever, uh, uh, one time, I'll tell you a true story. This is actually a real true story. I was in school, and my dad had given me my lunch. And when he had given me my lunch, he had given me specific instruction that day, not to eat from anybody else's lunchbox and don't eat anything that comes from the teacher. Only eat what's in your lunchbox. So I went to school and I was an obedient child. I was so good until they brought those gingerbread men out. Those gingerbread men are so awesome. They taste wonderful. 
And the teacher brought them out and those Christmas cookies and they had those, you know, the, the red dots on the tops of them and the green ones. And those cookies were smelling so good. And the teacher said, do you want one? And I was faithful to my father. And I said, no, no, ma'am. No, nope, not today. I felt so good. I had been victorious over round one of the temptation. My father was supposed to come pick me up at 3 o'clock exactly at that time. And for some reason at 3 o'clock, he did not show himself. My father's appearing was delayed. And as he delayed his coming, the teacher came out with the cookies again. (laughs) And she came and said, do you want any of these cookies? And I was like, yes, I'll take one. So I took one. I'll never forget this. I took one cookie, and I was like, yeah, my dad's mad late, man. It's like 15 minutes late, and I'm like, I'm going to eat this cookie. And and I'm standing there with the cookie, and it's not even in my mouth, brothers and sisters. It's like right here. (laughs) And I see my dad. (laughs) Caught red-handed. Now, back in the day, when you got in trouble back in the day, you actually got whooped. I don't know that maybe y'all didn't get whooped. I got whooped. So in this particular situation, my dad took me home. He said, go in the room. Take your pants down. I'll be there in a few minutes. Y'all don't know nothing about that, huh? (laughs) So I'm in the room fretting, waiting for my judgment, the execution of justice. And as I'm waiting there to get whooped, my mind is just torturing me on how bad this whooping is going to be. And my dad comes into the room and he comes in, he stands behind me. He said, don't look at me. So I stand there, I have my hands on the dresser. And all of a sudden, I just start here. I start, and he used to tell me, he used to tell me all the time, this hurts me more than it hurts you. <laughs> Y'all heard that before? This hurts me more than it hurts you. And I'll be like, man, why are you lying to me? You ain't got to lie to me. (laughs) So I'm standing there with my hands on the dresser, and I'm waiting. I'm waiting for my punishment. And all I start hearing is crying. My dad is weeping. I kind of peeked, but I didn't want to peek, peek, but I was kind of like, my dad is crying. He said, Andre, sit down. And he begins to talk to me and begins to explain to me all the different things. But in my mind, the only thing I could think of, my dad was crying. And what, what that did more for me than the whooping did. You see, my friends, I want to share something with you tonight. You see, naturally, you and I can't say sorry and fix this. You and I can't say sorry and fix this. God has to do something so we can see himself crying for us. But let's go. There's still more. So there's the command. The command is repent and believe. Repent and be baptized. But do you see this? Romans 2, 4. This is why I say naturally you and I can't repent except this happened. The Bible says are or depend despises thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads to what, my friends? 
Wait, 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 wait. I'm going to tell you something that most preachers have forgotten. You see, hellfire will never be a true motivation for someone to repent and love Jesus. Are you hearing what I'm saying? A fear of the last days, fear of a law that's going to be passed, fear of destruction, fear of hellfire will never get a man or a woman to the point of repentance. What they must see is the goodness of God. And when they see that goodness, my friends, then the heart melts. Then in true sense, I turn, I repent, I turn to my Savior and away from that sin. It is the goodness of God that leads a man or a woman to repentance. It's interesting because I find a passage. Go with me. I believe I want to go to Zechariah. Go with me to Zechariah. I'll find out if I'm wrong when I get there. I want to go to Zechariah chapter 12. I want to read verse number 10. And watch what the Bible says, my friends, in Zechariah chapter 12 and verse number 10. And when you have it, just say amen. It's the second to last book in the Old Testament. Zechariah, then there's Malachi. So Zechariah 12 verse 10, notice what the Bible says. It says, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and of supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall, what's it say, my friends? They shall mourn for him as one that mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. I can't help my mind just goes quickly to a story that I've heard. Uh, a father was getting ready to go out to, to work, and his children would always kind of come hug him before he left. And this morning, particular morning, his son, he didn't see his son, but he had to rush out to work. He gets in his car to go to work, and as he's backing out, he rolls over something. He gets out the car, and he sees that he's killed his son, his only son. Now, I know not what that feels like. He did it by accident. You see, the passage says that when the Spirit of God is poured out, and this is why we talked about the Spirit last night, when the Spirit of God is poured out, when we look at the Son of God, when we look at Jesus, something's going to break our heart. Do you think I went to school the next day or any other day after that and got any cookies from the teacher? No, I did not. Do you think I did that because I was afraid to get beat? No, I didn't do that. The reason why I didn't go to school and eat cookies anymore, because I remember the tears in my father's eyes. Are you following what I'm saying? You see, when we decide to be Christians and turn from sin, we will remember the cross. We will remember the suffering. We will remember his agony and his shame. And remember, my friends, I want to tell you something. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Before the foundation of the world, the Lamb was slain. So when Jesus shows up, and we're going to deal with this when, uh, with the Messiah in the third temple on Friday, but when the Messiah shows up and he manifests himself in human form and he willingly goes to Calvary, Calvary was to help us see something that was already breaking the heart of God before we were created. 
they will look. I will, I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and a supplication. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. In other words, they own what they did to Jesus. It wasn't the Romans that put the nails in his hands. I did that. It wasn't the Romans that had the cat of nine tails and all the different elements there and striking Jesus back, the most high's back. That wasn't the Romans. That was me. It wasn't the Romans that when they had the crown of thorns and plated it and smashed it on its head and hit him with a club and they said, prophesy unto us, who hit you? It, won't, it wasn't them, my friends. It was, it was me. It says, they, will, they shall look upon me whom they have pierced and they shall mourn as one that mourneth for his only son and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. It was me. You see, repentance is not a theoretical assent to information. It is not, I'm saying I'm sorry. Repentance is a change of the whole entire being away from sin. It's affections and it's drawing. I no longer want this. Save me, Father. Notice these. It's, it's interesting I'm going to talk to you a little bit here about Moses. And Moses is in the presence of God. Let me, let me back up before I show you that. Moses is in the presence of God, and Moses is much like myself. In the, in the sense, not like I'm a patriarch, but I'm curious. Are you curious? Are you a curious person? So he's much like you too. And Moses, when he's talking to God, he's like, God, look, I would love it if you could just show me who you are. Show me. So go with me to the book of Exodus for a moment, and let's look at this conversation that is unique to Moses, but we can learn from. Exodus chapter 33, we're looking at verse number 17. Exodus 33 and verse 17, the Bible says, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight. Let's look at that, grace in the Old Testament. And I know thee by, what's it say, my friends? Isn't that awesome? Come on now. I, it's, 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 cool. it's cool when you know that somebody's famous or powerful, and they be like, hey, I've seen you before. Like, I, anybody know who Navelle Peters is? Navelle Peters. He's a blind pianist in, in the church. And so Navelle Peters, I was doing a, uh, a meeting in Florida, and he was actually the pianist for me while I was doing the, the meetings. And so he's in the bathroom with me, and remember, he's blind. And so I just said, hello. I never met him before. I said, hello. He's like, oh, you're Andre. I'm like, you know my name? He's like, yeah, I listen to you on Audioverse all the time. And he's just going on. I'm like, wow, that's amazing because I listen to your music all the time too. <laughs> I know you by name. That's what he says. That had to be a great feeling that Moses had when God said that to him. It says in verse 17, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy, what's it say, my friends? 
show me thy glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, thou canst not see my face. For there shall no man see me. And what's it say, my friend? I wonder how glorious and awesome God is. That even mortal eyes can't bear to set their eyes upon him. It goes on to say, and the Lord said, behold, there's a place by me and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass while my glory passes by that I will put thee in the cleft of the rock and I will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I will make and I, and I will take my hand and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. That's interesting. Next chapter. And the Lord said unto Moses, hew thee two tables of stone and like unto the first. And I will write upon these tables the words which I have, which were in the first tables, which thou breakest and be ready in the morning. And come up in the morning unto the Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before the mount. And he hewed the two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hand the two tables of stone and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed. What did he proclaim? The Lord, the Lord God merciful and what? Gracious and what? Long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty. Now let's pause here. I just want to highlight this. Remember, it's the goodness of God that leads you to repentance. So what's the, what is this goodness? The goodness is that he keeps mercy for thousands. The goodness is that he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin. The goodness is that he's not going to let sin go unpunished. That's a good thing, brothers and sisters. It's a good thing. But let's go a little bit further. Obey the gospel. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8 says, In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God, and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So God's wrath is poured out on those who do not obey the gospel. Now my brain goes, why? That's what my brain does. Why would he pour out his wrath on those who don't obey the gospel? Now remember, the gospel, the command is to repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, or you're going to perish. Repent, and you receive forgiveness. Repent, and God will give you his spirit. But if you don't repent, the vengeance of God is poured out. First Peter 4, 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. Now, when Peter writes this, he's referring back to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 8 and, and chapter 9. He's referring back to the, that passage. Judgment begins at the house of God. And if it, begin, if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel? All right, we're laying a foundation. So what is the gospel? I'm going to give you the gospel in picture form. 
You guys ready for it? It's going to be five pictures. Five pictures. You just remember the five pictures, and you'll understand the gospel. Picture number one. This is the life of Jesus. You know, as Jesus took on the form of a man, when he took this on, brothers and sisters, the Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is part of the good news. God becomes one of us. He walks in this skin, brothers and sisters. He talks in this skin. He eats the same foods. He breathes the same air. But as he's walking in this flesh, Romans chapter 8 tells us something about this walk. Go with me there. Romans chapter 8. Watch what the Bible says. Romans chapter 8, and beginning at verse number 1. Romans 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the, what's that say, my friends? After the flesh, but after what, my friends? The Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin where, my friends? In the flesh. Well, that's interesting. Verse 4, pay attention. That the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after what, my friends? So here we go. So he walks in his flesh, and while he walks in his flesh, he never does one bad thing. He never lied. He never cheated. He never bare false witness. He never committed adultery. He never gossiped. He, paid, he, he even paid taxes on time, if he, even if he had to use a fish. Huh? Jesus was perfect in every way. No sin in him, the spotless lamb of God. And as he walks in this flesh, everything that he did in this flesh, when he dies, he seals perfection. He seals perfection. So now, like Galatians 2.20, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not my life. The life of Jesus is born inside. So his life is perfect. Jesus dies. He seals that perfection. And the reason why that it, we know it was perfect because he rose from the dead. You see, my friends, if he didn't raise from the dead, then all this preaching is worthless. The mere fact that he rose up says that he's conquered death, and the sting of death is the law. So he lived perfection and walked perfection, and then that perfection, he seals that perfection, and he says, now, do you want to live? He says, do you want to live? Do you want life? He said, accept my son. In fact, notice this. Notice this. I want you to go to Romans. I'm going a little bit ahead of myself. Romans 6. Romans 6. Watch this now. So we have his life, perfect life, his death, the sealing of that perfection, the resurrection, 
evidence of that perfection. And then last night, we talked about the reality as when Jesus is anointed in heaven as the high priest, his church is anointed below. And as his church is anointed below, they receive power to live a holy, godly, spirit-filled life. Romans 6. This is one of the, when I started to get serious about God, this chapter was one of the chapters I started memorizing. One of the most powerful chapters you can memorize. It says in verse number one, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? What's it say, my friends? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized, where my friends? Into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Tell me something. Tell me something. Tell me something. What kind of power rose Jesus from the dead? The, the, the glory of the Father, we call it resurrection power. Now tell me, tell me, the passage said that when you are baptized in Jesus Christ and you are raised to walk in newness of life, it said that you, you now live a Christian life with resurrection power. Y'all not hearing nothing I said. Y'all sleep already. It's bedtime, huh? The Christian now has access to live a life that is not normal. It is supernatural. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. The problem is we don't believe this passage. We believe our flesh. The flesh says do this. We say yes. Somebody gets on my nerves. I'm going to let them know you're on my nerves. All right? You need to get off my nerves. Your body says I want to eat this. You just go do it. You know why? Because you're living according to what your flesh says to do. There is no such thing as a carnal Christian. Christians are to be spirit-filled, spirit-led persons. And the reality is, brothers and sisters, when we find ourselves, in fact, let me show you how the Bible defines the flesh. Go with me to Galatians. We're going to Galatians. Galatians. Chapter 5. Now, either we're led by the Spirit or we're led by the flesh. Remember, I'm going to show you five pictures. We're at three pictures at this moment. Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse number 19. Notice what the Bible says. It says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness. Thisness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance. Now, variance is arguing. Emulation. Emulation is comp competition. I'm trying to be better than you. I'm trying to outdo the next man, which is the principle of our entire world, essentially, right? Emulation, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, Drunkenness, 
revelings, and watch the next part, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit what? They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So it does not matter what church you go to. If you go on a regular basis, it doesn't matter. If you are practicing any of these things, the Bible says you do not have access. We do not have access into the kingdom of heaven unless we do what? Repent. You see, we, you see we've, we've played with this. We've played with it because what we do, we look at everybody else in the church or everybody else in the world, and we say, I'm not as bad as they are. So our standard is lower to that of a man instead of the standard being Jesus, instead of our standard being God himself. And because we've lowered the standard, our Christianity is nothing but a made man religion. What God desires is to do something special. The fruit of the Spirit is the next part. Watch what it says in verse 22. But the fruit, singular, of the Spirit is love. Amen? Joy, amen. Peace, amen. Long suffering, amen. Let me pause on long suffering. You guys know what long suffering means. Long suffering means that you actually are suffering for a long time. You guys know what? So, in other words, let's just say, my sister, I just met you, so I can pick on you a little bit, okay? Is that all right? All right. Let's, your name's Erica, right? All right. Let's just say Erica is rude she's not she's one of the nicest persons i've met thus far let's just say erica's rude and she's like you know you preach way too long andre and i wish you would just your voice is so weird and i just i can't stand it and she tells me that every day now for me to hear that from her the natural man would be like girl you don't even know what it takes to stand up here and preach you need to mind your business and where'd you come from anyway so that that would be a very human response to somebody being rude to me. But the Christian takes it. They suffer long, and the Bible indicates as they suffer, they're still kind. Y'all didn't hear that. See, that's, that's Christianity. That's not the world. That's not something you could create in yourself. That is something the Spirit of God has to put inside of you. Love suffers long and is kind. You see, when you're under duress and it doesn't come out the right way, that says, I must repent. Huh? That's, that's the command. That's the instruction because, again, either, either this is true or it's not true. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness. Here's one I, I have to deal with right here. Temperance. Uh, I, I'm quite sure the health talk's on the deal with it, but temperance is moderation in that which is good and abstaining from all things that are bad. That's temperance. So I need to go to bed at a certain time. I need to get up in the morning at a certain time. But again, I can't make myself do it. I must submit to the Spirit of God, let God's Spirit put it in me, and then I cooperate with God's Spirit as he leads me on the way. Amen? Amen. And watch this. Temperance, and watch the next part. 
against such there is no, what's it say, my friend? No law. So I'm not under the law. Amen. Not like that. Because I'm under the spirit of God. Amen. And when you walk in the spirit, there is no law against righteousness. It's a harmonious movement. Amen. But let's go a little bit deeper. You see, there's, there are five pictures. The life of Christ is his perfection. The death of Christ is the sealing of that perfection. The resurrection tells me without question his, his offering was perfect. And his resurrection indicates that his, he is now, number four, interceding for me. We have such a high priest. He is in heaven. He, he's been touched with the feelings of our infirmities. He knows what it's like. He's not, up to, you know, sometimes I, I, I generally have a problem with anybody who, who just wants to come and boss people around. I just have a problem with that, generally speaking. But I definitely have a problem with that for those who sit on a high level and then don't, don't know anything that's going on where, where you are, and then you do this. I'm like, yo, do you even know what it takes to do what I'm doing right now? He's touched with the feelings of our infirmities. So he doesn't sit high and look low. He sits high and comes low. Come on now. That's the God I serve. Five pictures of God. Perfection of life. Perfection in his death. His resurrection power, which we live by. And now he is interceding for us. And also, my friends, is picture number five. When he comes back through the clouds, he's going to make all things right. He's going to do away not with just the power of sin, but when he comes back again, the very presence of sin will be eliminated. This, these five pictures are pictures of the gospel. Now, this is also a picture of the gospel. This is what we call the earthly sanctuary, the wilderness tabernacle. And we're going to run through this very quickly. I don't think I'm going to be able to do this in a time frame. So let's just, let's just go back here for a second. You guys see here, this is the altar of sacrifice. You see that there? This is the laver. And this, is it, this area out here is called the outer court. Everything around that tent is called the outer court. That's all that's there. When you go inside, this is a satellite view of that same um, uh, tent area. And you can see here, let's see here. Let me change the tool on my little dot thing. So here, this is the altar of sacrifice. This is the laver. This is the table of shoe bread here. This is the candlesticks, seven golden candlesticks. This is the altar of incense. And this is the Ark of the Covenant in the Most Holy Place. And you see I have Lucifer there, and he's about to be thrown out. Remember, he's, he was cast out of heaven. No longer in the presence of God, okay? Now, in another day, I'm going to go over every single one of these, so you'll see this again without question. But, you know, Jesus came from heaven. He came directly from the presence of God in the very, in the very place where God the Father was. And he came all the way down to earth. You see where that altar of sacrifice is? That altar of sacrifice is a symbol of the cross. It's a symbol of Jesus himself giving himself for us. So he came from heaven to earth to show us the way. Anybody know that song? So he comes from heaven to earth. He comes to Calvary. And then he goes back to heaven. You notice I have it in red because the very steps of Jesus are consecrated with blood. But when he goes back, he goes, he goes to, to when he, you know, when he comes to earth, he's baptized. Then he goes to Calvary. Then he's raised from the dead. 
Then he goes back to his father. Now, at, this is the whole trip. Now, for us, we don't start in the very presence of God. In fact, the whole point of Jesus coming to us well, so that we can find our way to the Father. So we come from the outside, and we go through Calvary, and we're buried and baptized with Jesus, and then we walk that sanctified life to the very presence of God. I'm doing this very quickly for now. Do you guys know, I, I did red and blue for a reason. Do you guys know what red and blue, those primary colors, when you put red and blue together, what, what color comes? The blood of Jesus and his perfection in his law as he lives his life through us creates royalty, my friends. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 1 that we are a royal priesthood. You listen to what the Bible said. You are a royal priesthood. So you are kings and queens. Can, 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 you, can you see that in your mind? Do you understand that? When you walk out of this building, when you walk down the street, you are royalty. So you should walk like kings. Why don't you dress like kings and queens? Eat like kings and queens. Come on now. This is what we have been called for. God intends to restore the crown back to his children. So again, this is just inside. That's the holy place. Inside the holy place, there's these pieces of furniture. And in fact, let me do a little quick, and this is the most holy place. Let me do a little quick quiz for you. Tell me, what is that? The refrigerator, tell me, what, what room is the refrigerator normally in? The kitchen. Okay, the kitchen. What about this one? This quick quiz. Where's, what's that? That's a toilet. Where is that normally? Is, that in, is the toilet in the kitchen? It shouldn't be in the kitchen. That would be horrible. Wouldn't that be bad? So where's the toilet normally at? In the bathroom. And then you have, what's this right here? What's this? Does, does, is the bed in the living room? So you, sometimes you have a pull-out couch. But normally, no, the bed is in what room? The bedroom. So the furniture tells you the purpose of the room. You guys get that? So when I look at this furniture in the sanctuary, this is the altar of sacrifice. The furniture tells me the purpose of the outer court. So this outer court is a symbol of the, the, the life and death of Jesus. Again, I don't have time to go into great detail in regards to this, but you can write the verse down. But also, the altar of sacrifice is where we present our bodies a living sacrifice. By faith, we go to the same place. We go to Calvary with Jesus. I am crucified with Christ in your mind. Listen, listen, every day when you wake up as a believer, I, and I, right now I, I just, I, I repent myself. Every day, if you say you're a Christian, your, fir your first thoughts should be of God. Your first thoughts, when you wake up, first thoughts. When you go to bed, last thoughts. Jesus, what he's done, what he's doing, his sacrifice. Saturated, your thoughts and feelings saturated. You know, when you, when you love something, you talk about that more than anything else. There's, there, I remember courting my bride, and any conversation, I talk about the Bible and things like that, but if we're talking about anybody, I, it's my wife. That's my woman. I don't talk about any other women. 
I go home, that's my woman. If you see me talking about any other woman for more than two minutes, something's wrong. Do you, do you understand? Like, your conversation, your thoughts are on the one that you love. So I, I would say do an evaluation as a believer. Do an evaluation. What do you talk about throughout the day? What's your, what's your favorite thing to converse about? Is it about the sins of everyone else? Is it, is it about the, the, the horribleness in the world today? Like, what, what is your conversation about? Who do you love? Purpose of the furniture, here's the labor. The labor is a symbol of Jesus himself being baptized and then also has a dual application. The labor becomes a symbol of his death, burial, and resurrection. It's a symbol of going underneath the water and coming up in newness of life. So it has a dual application there, but it also symbolizes our rebirth, our baptism, us being born again. Now I'm going to get very specific in regards to baptism. I want to go to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. What is there a mandate for baptism? We already seen it, but I just want to show it again. You'll see it. Go home and Matthew 28. Look at verse number 18. The Bible says, Jesus spake, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe how many things? All things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. So baptism, is it an option? Is it optional based on this verse? Is it optional? No. In fact, Jesus himself has given the command, go and baptize. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Go over there quickly. Acts chapter 2. It's not optional. Acts chapter 2. Look at verses 37 and 38. Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. It says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the Holy Ghost. So again, there is a command. Repent, be baptized. Mark 16, verse 16. Mark 16 and verse 16. This is the command of Jesus again, just in a different version. As he started verse 15, it says, And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believeth not, what's it say, my friends? Shall be condemned or shall be damned. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to be damned. In fact, I want to be saved. How about you? Amen. John 3, verse 5. Go to John chapter 3 and verse 5. What is the meaning of baptism? John 3, verse 5. I've alluded to it, but let's go deeper. John 3, verse 5 says, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, 
he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. It is required. Galatians chapter 3, verse 27. Galatians 3 and verse 27. Watch carefully. Galatians 3 and verse 27. And I love this one because it actually gives you an even clearer view of the purpose of baptism. It says, for as many of, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So in, in your mind, as you read that text, what visually, what visually happens to you when you see the text? How do you see yourself in that? Yeah, you, you see, like, it's like you're putting, like, a cloak on. Like, you, you, when you're baptized, you put on the man Jesus Christ. So now as I'm walking, what should everybody see? That's what baptism is a symbol of. I'm now being baptized into a person, and that person now is covering me, and I'm walking in the power and the might of that person. Amen? Amen? Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we're looking at verse 12. Watch carefully. We're just, we're just being biblical Christians today. Is that okay? Colossians chapter 2 in verse number 12. It says, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. So every time, and I, for years, you know, I, I have always loved to be in ministry for God. I would literally, you know how some people go to the movies and be, are entertained that way? If there was a baptism and I didn't even know the people, I would go to the baptism. I would literally just go, into, I would go watch the baptism. You know why? Because I'm looking at them being married to Christ. And it would always bring joy to my heart, always bring joy to my soul, because I'm saying the commitment that's being made here, and the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice over one who makes that decision for him. So I look at this, and I'm saying this, this is no, it's not a game. When they have, in fact, to this day, I am afraid to baptize myself. I just think, I just think the whole act is so awesome. I don't feel worthy to stand in the water to do it. That's the covenant relationship demonstrated in reality. And when they sing the song, take me to the water, take me to the water, take me to the water. To be baptized. I love that song. Then it says, none but the righteous. None but the righteous. None but the righteous shall see God. I, I love that song. It's not a theory, not a game. It's an experience with the Most High. This man. Colossians 3, look at verses 1 through 3. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, and I'm going to get you home tonight because you have work to do tomorrow. 
Colossians 3, 1 through 3, it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are, what's it say? For ye are what? For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. That's what the act of baptism is a symbol of. So what does baptize mean? What is, the, what is the proper way to baptize? In the Greek, there's the word called baptizo. It means to baptize or to be washed over or to be immersed. But let's look. Mark 1, 5 through 9, we don't have to read all these, but it talks about Jesus and John the Baptist being baptized, going underneath the water. The idea in Romans 6 is that you are buried and raised and planted. The idea in Colossians 2, 12, you are buried and you are risen. So when I read stuff like that and then I see something like this, I'm confused. In New York, they had a baptism. What they did, they opened a fire hydrant and they used a water hose and they sprayed it over people. Now tell me, does that reflect the sacredness of what the experience is supposed to represent? No, it does not. So a water hose is not going to do it. Or even this, putting water on a baby's head. Does, does, that symbol, does that really reflect the entirety of accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior, being buried with him by baptism into the watery grave, and being resurrected by his power? Does that does that? No, it does not. So, my friends, there are some misunderstandings in regards to baptism. But this, this is a solemn act. This is saying I'm going to be buried with Jesus. But I'm not going to stay buried because he rose from the dead. And he rose up, not by his own power, brothers and sisters, but he rose by the resurrection power of God. And now as a Christian, I live my life not by my own strength, but by the power of the Most High God. By the power of the Most High God, brothers and sisters. That's how we want to live our lives. That's where we want to lean. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Tonight, we've gone through a myriad of texts. And tonight, I've been praying about it. I've been praying about it today. I've been praying about it yesterday. I've been praying about it for a couple of months. But today, I, I am instructed and required. Jesus wants to do a new thing in you. Jesus wants to do a new thing in you. He wants to he wants to make you new. He wants to make you clean. And he's already been working in your heart, and you know he's been working in your heart. And today he's going to call you, and he's calling you to repentance. Not because you're afraid of hellfire. No, no, no. 
but you see the goodness of God? You see the manifestation of his love as he hangs on Calvary, you see him there. And yes, the Bible says, for God so loved the world, but the reality is, for God so loved Andre. For God so loved you. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Tonight, I want you to think, does he want you tonight to make a decision to be baptized? As my sister comes to sing, prayerfully, brothers and sisters, consider following Jesus all the way to the watery grave. continues to play is there anyone here tonight that have heard the voice of Jesus speak to your heart and you've heard him speak to your heart over several days and you know that you must surrender your heart to Jesus and symbolize it by being baptized is there anyone like that here tonight just raise your hand where you are if there anyone like that tonight I see a hand is there another is there another is there another? You want to be baptized. 
you want to be rebaptized? Amen. I see two hands, three hands. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. Anyone else? You say, oh, not today, Pastor, not today. I'm, I'm okay. I, at another time, brothers and sisters, you may not have another time. While the Spirit speaks expressly, while the Spirit speaks now, is there another? Is there another? says come is there another just raise your hand where you are for those who want to recommit themselves to God and you just want to stand and say father thank you for your sacrifice thank you for your son Thank you for not allowing me to die in my sins. If that's your desire tonight, just stand where you are. Father in heaven, you have seen the raised hands who have committed to saying, I want to be baptized or rebaptized. I've asked, Father, a special blessing, a special hedge of protection around those dear souls. The angels in heaven are rejoicing with great joy. Oh, if our ears could be opened to hear the melodious sounds of the heavenly beings. And Father, those of us who have stood again, just, just saying thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your spirit that leads us and guides us, Father. I ask that you bless each one standing, Father. Help us to remain. For the enemy would love to pluck us up and pluck us out. So please, Lord, as the new week has begun, as the new temptations are being organized, give us victory, Father. Please, Lord. Please. Thank you. We pray this in the name of Jesus, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen.